If you got your Bibles, open to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and then Genesis chapter 50. After 38 weeks, we are going to finish the story of Joseph today, all right? Um, now, here's the deal. You do not have to go back. If you missed some of it, you do not have to go back and listen to all of it. Uh, it is some good stuff, uh, but I can tell you this. The passage we're going to study today, for those of you who've been around for, for, for most or even part of this study, this is a passage that many times gets passed over uh, by pastors preaching to congregations because of the background that's required in order to preach it. I hope if you've been with us that this message speaks to you today uh, the way that it has spoken to my heart. This week, my desk turned into an altar when I was doing my study time and putting my notes together. Uh, the Spirit last week and this week very, very much was heavy on me uh, through this passage that there were some things in my life that I needed to let go of and allow the Holy Spirit to change. And so maybe, just maybe, the Spirit is going to speak to you the same way today. All right? Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 31. Our study today starts with this question. Have you ever held on to something for motivation before, all right? Have you ever held on to something for motivation before? Some of you are trying to do the weight loss thing, right? And you got the, the pictures up there as motivation of where you were versus where you want to be. Uh, sometimes it can be an item. Sometimes it's a picture. Uh, sometimes it's a conversation that you had with somebody that motivates you moving forward. And then every now and again, it's something negative that really you should probably let go of, right? Uh, there is nobody who has done that better. And I've told you this story before. Nobody who's done that better in the history of athletics than Michael Jeffrey Jordan. All right. If any of you ever got to go and watch uh, the Hall of Fame speech that Michael Jordan gave, he's arguably the greatest athlete, not just basketball player, but greatest athlete of all time. And so everybody's waiting to see what he's going to say in this Hall of Fame speech. And do you remember? He gets up there and he brings up all this motivation from a kid from high school that beat him out for varsity that he felt like didn't deserve to be on the team. And you're sitting there scratching your head, and it's like, dude, you're the greatest that's ever been, and you're bringing up this kid from high school that didn't even do anything in college, right? I mean, he's just bringing this up, but he's held on to it. And one of the reasons that he was so great in his sport was because he was able to hold on to and vividly relive that moment of getting cut from the team, and it was just a heavy, heavy thing that he had to navigate. Now listen, when it comes to professional athletics, maybe you hold on to some of that stuff. If you're trying to become a productive member of society and a good member in your family and live for Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, there are going to be some times, listen to me, when someone has hurt you and rather than hold on to that anger, that hate, that malice, the Holy Spirit is going to be beckoning your heart to finally forgive we live in a point right now where society tells you, hold on to that hate. So much good can come from it. Hold on to that anger. So much good can come from it. Hold on to that grief. Again, so much good can come from it when the truth of the matter is, in Jesus Christ, we have an opportunity at freedom. Not just freedom for our physical bodies, but freedom for our spirit, freedom for our soul, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32 are great verses to memorize. Here's what it says. Paul writes, get rid of all bitterness. Just for the record, some of your translations say put away. Put away or get rid of all bitterness, 
of rage, of anger, of brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. But be kind and compassionate to one another. Look at this. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Stop right there for just a minute. Even though it can be comforting, and it's a bizarre thing to hold on to the hate and anger that we can have for someone else. It's a part of you for so long, it almost feels like a companion. What Paul says here is in Jesus Christ, we remember when we look full into what he has done for us on the cross, his shed blood and resurrection, making us whole before almighty God. What Paul writes in this passage is remember those things, those hatreds, those angers, those grief moments, those are meant to be let go of so that God can restore us and make us whole, that he might be able to redeem us and redeem even the most difficult of circumstances. If you're taking notes, write this down. God seeks to restore that which was broken and redeem what has been lost. God seeks to restore that which was broken and redeem what has been lost. Those weird motivations can become comforting. And I'd like to share with you something that the Lord has done in my heart this week. I had a comforting piece of motivation and it came in the form of a five by seven sheet of paper with some words on it from an individual that had deeply hurt me. The way the paper came to be was one of the moments that would end up, the Lord would use it to be a defining moment in my life. Through that little five by seven sheet of paper, I would quit a job without having another job. It came about when I was the youth minister at a church and we took our very last mission trip to Washington, D.C. We brought 75 high school kids up here. It was an amazing experience coming up from Texas and we knew that the Lord was calling us to plant a church at this point, but we didn't quite know what that was going to look like. I'd been having trouble with my supervisor. He had been in the job that I was in 17 years before I got there. He got promoted up to being my boss. I got hired in his position, and I felt like I couldn't do anything right. I definitely am one who does things the way that I feel like God has called me to do them. Um, and we were having success, uh, which some of you may know, when you have a boss that was in the position before you, success can sometimes be the worst thing that can happen to you. I was doing things different, and it was working. I'll never forget, we came on DC on that last mission trip, and while we got here, we had encouraged our drivers on the trip to bring their own GPS units that were not on their phones. Back in those days, the phone GPSs were really slow. And we had encouraged our leaders to bring their own GPS units so they could navigate the DC city streets. Three of our leaders decided they were gonna try to use their phone and when they got up here, they were gloriously confused because there was so much construction going on and Apple Maps wasn't updating very fast back then. And so we ended up having to buy three GPS units for those leaders to get the kids around town throughout the week. I took out a PO, as was our church's policy at that point, and I had 22 different interns that were on staff with me at that point, 22 different staff. And so the idea was we would rotate those GPS units with them after the week of mission trip uh, so that they could utilize them. But when I got home from the trip, my supervisor had been really trying to put me in my place for quite some time. And on my desk, waiting for me coming back from the mission trip, was that five by seven white sheet of paper 
that had the amount of the three GPSs listed without GPS written on it, and it said church credit card used for personal expense and the amount of those GPS units. There was a place for me to sign that I was acknowledging that that money was gonna be docked from my paycheck, but here was the real problem. A pastor that uses the church credit card for personal expense, whether it's a dollar or a million, is a mark against your character that if you sign it, can be utilized against you for the rest of your stinking career. This was a way to put me in my place. And so here's what happened. I was so angry, and I called my dad, who was also a pastor, and I said, Dad, what do I do? He said, son, you know what you do. He said, you quit. He said, you tell them I ain't signing it. They had also told me that if I went over their heads that I would be fired for insubordination. I was so young and didn't realize it, I could have gone over his head on this one, but I was too afraid at that point. So I went in, I turned in my resignation, and that little five by seven sheet of paper for more than a decade now has been my physical, tangible way to remember that I was right in doing what I had to do. But listen to me. It's time to let it go. So this week, and really since October when we started this study in Joseph, I began to read these passages and the Spirit began to chip away at my heart because listen, this is crazy. We've moved since that time six different apartments or houses. You gotta move in D.C. It's just kind of the way it goes when you're renting, right? You gotta move. We've moved six different times. And you know what's crazy? The study this week was when I finally realized I have made sure that that little five by seven sheet of paper has made the move all six times. Why? Why? Because there is still hurt in my heart from having to go through and endure that moment. So I'm sitting at my desk this week, wandering through this, and I feel the Holy Spirit say to me, it's time to rip it up. It's time to get rid of it. Ephesians 4.31. It's time to put it away and be finished with it. And can I tell you this? I'm praying for courage. Next service, my wife is going to be in the service, and we're going to tear it up together. It's made the move. There was a point when we kept it in the same place as our children's birth certificates. That's what we do with bitterness, with malice, with rage, with anger. In fact, the word they use is brawling. This is the idea of swinging and fighting. This physical, this hurt, this pain on our spirit, pain on our emotions, this abuse that we've endured, and we hold on to it. In the beginning for motivation, Lord, you're going to bring me through this. You're going to draw me through this moment. But then to hold on to something that if I look at that little five by seven piece of paper, I can relive that moment vividly that I found it on my desk to the nth degree. 
Is it time today for some of you to get rid of those five by seven sheets of paper, to get rid of those, those things that bring you back, that draw you into the darkness and refill the meter of hate that you have in your spirit? Again, like we said a moment ago, God seeks to restore that which was, that which was broken and, restore, and, uh, and redeem that which has been lost. Now, just for the record, I want to lay this out as well. Pain and abuse are on a spectrum. There are lighter situations and there are heavier situations. The path I want to show you that Joseph outlines for us today, it does not matter where your pain, where your hurt falls on the spectrum. God can use it to redeem you and he can use it to restore you. If you're taking notes, our big million dollar question today, how do you forgive a loved one who has really hurt you? How do you forgive a loved one who has really hurt you? It has been my prayer coming into this morning that many of you would find freedom today that you have never experienced before. Again, in this passage that is rarely preached. Flip over with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 50, and we're going to start in verse 14. Genesis chapter 50, and we'll start in verse 14. Remember, the pain and the abuse that Joseph carries with him is that his brothers, the ones that he was raised with, the brothers uh, that he was in the same house with them, they sell him into slavery. Could there be a more hateful thing that you could do to an individual? They sell him into slavery. He then goes into the house of Potiphar. He is sexually assaulted while in the house of Potiphar, wrongfully accused, put in prison. I mean, if there is something that we've been through that you could put up against, what Joseph had to navigate, man, he is on the far end of the spectrum of difficulty and abuse that he's had to endure. He's then in prison. The Lord provides an opportunity, and then by a set of heavenly circumstances, he ends up the right-hand leader in Pharaoh's court, the second most powerful person in the entire world. The Lord begins to reconcile his situation with his family, but here's the problem. There was a mosquito, and I just caught him, all right? That was in 4K, all right? There you go, all right? Thank you, thank you. Now listen, here's the deal. Don't miss this. Joseph's dad, Jacob, is the head of the family. But Jacob just died. The last service that we went through, Jacob just died. And here's what's happening. All of a sudden, Joseph's brothers sit there and they go, we don't have Papa Jacob to protect us from Joseph anymore. Man, what if... Joseph has been saying he forgives us, but now, with Papa Jacob gone, what if now he decides to take and exact his vengeance upon us? What are we going to do? Look at what happens in verse 14 of Genesis 50. It says, after burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all others who had gone with him to bury his father. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you were to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs that they committed in treating you so badly. Now forgive the sins of the servants of God, your, of your father. Now stop there for just a minute. Here's what happens. They've walked all the way to Canaan. Have you ever been on a long trip before and you have long conversations? conversations with the people in the car. Here's what's happened. They've walked all the way to Canaan, and now the brothers in this massive entourage of people leaving the funeral, they have the funeral, they've grieved, and now they're walking back to Egypt going, oh man, Joseph could really hurt us. And then they come up with this story. Scholars are divided. 
did Jacob actually tell them to say this to Jacob? Or did Jacob actually tell them to say this to Joseph? Or is this a story they've made up to try to get Joseph to not hurt them? Either way, as they're walking, they go, listen, Joseph, please forgive us. Please know that dad would have wanted you to not hurt us in this regard. Now look at what happens with Joseph. This is so powerful. At the end of verse 17, it says, when their message came to him, look at this, Joseph wept, circle, highlight, and underline, Joseph wept. What this lets you know is it wasn't Joseph going, eh, don't worry about it. No, at the mention of them selling him into slavery, this unthinkable thing that brothers shouldn't do to one another. All of a sudden, in the midst of him, remembering the sexual assault, remembering the abuse that he'd endured while he was in prison, him remembering the hopelessness and the feeling of being trapped in that cell, all of a sudden, all of that comes back, and even as a grown man, decades removed from that pain, this man, Joseph, stops, and he weeps at the thought of the abuse that he had had to endure. There are many of you in this room that can fully identify with this moment. What Joseph is about to do is the godly thing when he could rake his brothers over the coals, when he could again, force them into slavery the same way that they forced him into slavery, in the same way that he could treat them awfully, in the same way he could set them up to be sexually assaulted. Joseph forgives them. He does the godly thing. He ends the cycle of hate and abuse and pain and anger. That's what the godly person does. You end the cycle. He weeps. If you're taking notes, how do you forgive a loved one who has really hurt you? Number one, you work at it between big moments. You say that again. You work at it between big moments. For Joseph to be able to navigate this means that he had eaten the elephant the way that you can, the only way that you can eat an elephant. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Some of you are really, really smart. I won't make you raise your hand on this. But some of you are really, really smart. And the way you did school, you lived midterm final, midterm final. And you were so stinking smart, especially in this city, you didn't have to study in between. But can I tell you what happens when you live test to test? You never really learn the curriculum. Do you hear me? You never really learn the material. When it comes to grief, to anger, to hatred, you cannot eat an elephant in one sitting. You gotta take it a piece and a bite at a time. If you have had someone who has deeply hurt you and you have a C-plus interaction with them and you go, whew, well, I'm gonna forget all about that hurt until we move on to the next one, then guess what's going to happen? They're gonna have, there's going to be a huge chunk of rotten elephant that you're going to have to eat when you come upon it. I'll give you an example. So, not too long ago, I was speaking at an event, and um, there's an individual who had hurt me that I hadn't thought about in quite some time. And it wasn't because I shouldn't have thought about this person. It was just because any time I would start to, those negative thoughts would come up, and I would just kind of push them to the side. Just for the record, there's a difference between shoving it off to the side and not allowing it to control you. You have to find the fine line in between those two things. 
And so I spoke at this event, did a good job speaking, and afterwards a family came up to me, and the family goes, hey, it's so great. Can we get your contact information? We want to connect with you in the future. And I said, yeah, sure. And as I'm getting my contact information out, the person goes, hey, do you know such and such? And they bring up one person of the five people that I would say have hurt me the deepest in my lifetime. They bring up that one person. And all of a sudden, here's what I thought. They bring up the person. They go, do you know such and such? And here's the deal. Have you ever had somebody brought up like that that has hurt you? What goes into my mind immediately was I was like, don't lie. Don't lie. Don't lie. Immediately, I was trying to be truthful in the circumstance, but I'm, I'm petitioning the Lord trying to find the words of what I can say to be honest and truthful in the circumstance without making it seem like nothing had ever happened between us. And so I'm trying to figure out what the words are. Autumn's standing next to me. She's kind of watching like, oh no, what's he going to do? And I hadn't eaten elephant in quite some time with this pain. So all of a sudden I go, oh, well, uh, you got to understand my connection with this person. And all of a sudden I start sharing information that should not have been shared with a random person on the street. It wasn't anything that could have gotten me in trouble. It just was too much. And all of a sudden, you see the other person physically step back just a little bit, and then all of a sudden they go, oh, it sounds like there's a lot there, and they turned and walked off without taking my contact information. Now listen to me. After it was over, Autumn looks over at me and she goes, what is wrong with you? She said, you had gotten a positive connection with this family, and you found a way through your unaddressed anger at ruining a new friendship with this person. Learn from my mistake. (laughs) When it comes to forgiveness, you eat the elephant when the situation calls for it so that when the big moments happen, you don't just settle for a C plus. That could have been an A plus situation if I had eaten the elephant earlier. And instead... It's a C plus, and I will probably never hear from that family again because I had unaddressed anger in my heart and life. Some of you are missing out on really amazing relationships moving forward because it's time you get rid of that anger. You get rid of that malice. You get rid of that brawling, and you replace it for the forgiveness that God gave us through his son, Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, a little quote here for you. Lasting forgiveness must be digested over time rather than binged. Let me say that again. Lasting forgiveness must be digested over time rather than binged. This is how you get A pluses and not C pluses. Not only that, if you eat too much elephant, it'll choke you, all right? It'll make you sick or it'll choke you. It begs the question, when's the last time you ate some elephant? When's the last time you ate some elephant? You really took some time to process some of that pain, that hatred, and you did it in the light of the forgiveness we have in Jesus. Let's keep moving. Now look at Genesis chapter 50. Let's look at verses 18 through 20. Joseph is crying here. He's weeping. 
Look at the brothers. His brothers then came to him and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves. Underline, we are your slaves. It's them acknowledging, we've screwed up. We messed up. We acknowledge the pain that we caused you, and there is nothing that we can do. We are now your slaves. We did this awful thing to you, and now we stand before God as those who are condemned. Now look at what Joseph does here. This is powerful, and for any of you who've ever wondered, why do bad things happen to good people? The answers come to us right here in verses 19 and 20. Are you ready for this? Look at what it says. But Joseph said to them, listen to the power in his voice. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Underline, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Stop right there for just a minute. Why do bad things happen to good people? Sin is never a part of almighty God's plan, but because we live in a sinful, fallen world, the power that we hear from Joseph is he says, God allowed these things in his great, awesome sovereignty. God allowed me to go through this difficulty, and it has saved the lives of the people in our country. It has saved the lives of people outside of Egypt, and you know what? It has saved the life of our family, saved the lives in our family. At the same time, Joseph is able to step back in peace with Almighty God, in walking in true forgiveness, and say, Lord, I or say to the brothers, I know that this was not originally part of God's plan, but he has allowed it that I might become the man I am today. In the hand of Almighty God, he fashions us into something special. You see, God sees the macro and the micro. He sees that Egypt is in trouble and in need of help through the time of famine. But he also sees that Jacob's family is broken in need of redemption, that they need to be made whole again. If you're taking notes, write this down. How do you forgive a loved one who's really hurt you? Number one, you work at it between big moments. And number two, you see the goodness of God's plan. You see the goodness of God's plan. There are some of you in this room, when we talked about the spectrum of abuse and anger and hatred, you are on the further end of the spectrum. The truth is the same no matter where you fall. And listen to me. God's goodness, his plan was never that the awful thing happen. But if he allows it, then there is something good that he can bring from it. There's some of you in this room who've been touched by divorce. Either divorce yourself Divorce of your parents, divorce of your grandparents, divorce of brother, sister, or even best friend. Can I tell you that my counseling tip has always been over the years, if divorce has touched your family, to sit down and make a list of even the smallest of good things that God has brought from a difficult and brutal situation. Over the years, we have met some of the most amazing kids. When a couple has gone through divorce, that you can at least look at them and say, aren't you glad that your child exists? Aren't you glad that your niece or nephew or that your brother or sister exists even in the heartache and the pain of what has happened? Can't you at least see the hand of Almighty God in redemption and restoration in their lives as well? Make your list. I made a list one time. 
some pain and some struggle that I had been through. And I went and sat on the steps of the Washington, or sat on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And I just began to list the small things that the abuse that I had endured had produced. And what started small turned into such big things that the Lord used to craft and to shape who I am. Some of the abuse that I endured when I was in high school, it has shaped me into the pastor that I am today. Some of you who have endured types of physical, sexual, emotional, even spiritual abuse, you know that you are now able to see things that other people can't necessarily see unless they are really looking for them. Was it God's desire that I would have to have that experience? I do not believe it was. But in the midst of growing up and living in a sinful world, God's promise is what the enemy intended for wickedness, I will intend for good, amen? Is that your story today? By the way, Paul writes it this way. Or if you want to take notes, you can write this down. The intent of man is no match for the intent of God. The intent of man is no match for the intent of God. Whatever the abuser intended to destroy in you, God can repurpose, redeem, and restore by his mighty right hand. By the way, a powerful verse on this is Romans chapter 8, verse 28, one of the most famous verses in all of scripture. Paul writes this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. The phrase, all things, is what What's so powerful in that verse? There is nothing beyond God's grasp. He can use anything in your life that the enemy intended for wickedness to repurpose for his good and not just good for now, but good into eternity. There are eternal ramifications for the good that God can establish through what the enemy decided to destroy. It begs the final question for this section. Has anything good come from your suffering? Has anything good come from your suffering? I want to encourage you. Maybe there are some of you that the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right here in this moment, and you go, Zach, it's been a long time since I really stopped to consider what it was that was good that has taken place from this awful, unthinkable thing that I've had to endure in my lifetime. I want to encourage you. Find a spot down by the boardwalk. Find a spot down by the wharf. Find a spot on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Find a spot right in front of the Washington Monument. We have all these monumental spots around here plop down and make your list write down the things that God has done count your blessings like we sang about earlier with that second song this morning remember the good things that God has done and you'll be able to see not your past because the awfulness of the past are still going to be there but you'll begin to see the hope for the future that God can take what was an absolute disgusting mess and he can turn it into something useful. Let's finish up our passage. Are you ready? Has anything good come from your suffering? And then now, in verse 21, we get a piece of the forgiveness process that is very, very practical. Are you ready? Watch this. Verse 21, it says, So then, this is Joseph speaking, don't be afraid. I will provide for you. Look at this and your children, underline your children. And he reassured them, and he spoke kindly to them. For those of you who've endured abuse, this is a powerful, powerful passage. Joseph begins to calm their fears, listen, through positive interaction with them. 
If you're taking notes, write this down. How do you forgive a loved one who has really hurt you? Number one, you work at it between big moments. Number two, you see the goodness of God's plan. And number three, you seek appropriate opportunities for positive interaction. That word appropriate is key. You seek appropriate opportunities for positive interaction. What Joseph says here is he says, don't be afraid. Let me assure you with my kind words. And he says, I'm going to take care of you. And who? Your children. He says, I know that this pain between you and I is something. His pain between he and his brothers is pain that is going to continue to be there. But he comes back and says, but I like being Uncle Joe. I like being uncle to your kiddos. I like that I can pour into them and take care of them, that you might have a future. And indirectly, it's taking care of you at the same time. He seeks an appropriate opportunity to be able to establish something new with them. If you don't take anything else away from today, write this down. Are you ready? It is easier to maintain your hatred of someone when your most recent interaction is terrible. Let me say that again. It is easier to maintain your hatred of someone when your most recent interaction is terrible. For most of you, the last time that you interacted with this person that hurt you was the day they hurt you. And because of that, all you have to do is look at your five by seven sheet of paper like me or think back about that moment or see the place that it happened and all of a sudden you are back in that room, you are back in that moment and the anger and hatred meter in your heart has been lifted up and fulfilled. Establish a new precedent. Now, just for the record, I use the word appropriate. Establish an appropriate precedent. Do not give someone the key to your house that has hurt you, but lay the foundation for a new house and for a new connection with them. This works especially with somebody that you cared for deeply that broke up with you or that you had to break up with. Establish a new precedent. If the last experience you had with them was hurt and difficulty, then every time you think of them, that's all you're going to think about. If a boss has fired you, if you have gone through a situation where you've had to resign like I did, if you've gone through a situation where there is work hurt, find a way, even small, to lay a godly foundation of a new precedent. Some of you, it's your marriage. It feels like it's fallen to pieces. The last interaction you had is a hateful one. Find a way to lay a new foundation and start over. Begin again. So that the last time you think of that person, it's not a mic drop of hatred. So that every time you go back to it, all you have to do is remember it, and it refills that hate meter in your spirit. I actually learned how to do this well working at the finest restaurant in America, Red Lobster, all right? I worked at Red Lobster for four and a half years, waiting tables. And can I tell you what Red Lobster did really, really well? Some of you who worked, any of you work in restaurant work at any point, raise your hand. Okay, you've been there, all right? Conflict resolution is just part of the food service industry, right? Because sometimes stuff happens and it has to be fixed. We had three levels of mess-ups that could happen at Red Lobster. The first was typically if the kitchen was taking too much time and what should have been 15 minutes to get your food ended up being uh, an hour to get your food. All right, Sam, I'm sure you understand some of this sometimes. What do you offer the table whenever they've taken a long time to get their food? You offer them a dessert. 
And so we had three delicious desserts at that point. We had uh, the apple crunch sundae. We had the uh, triple layer chocolate cake. I say three. We had the key lime pie. We had the bananas Foster's cheesecake. I mean, it was just great. Delicious. I, mean, I love those. In fact, I'm still carrying much of Red Lobster with me, all right? And so I just loved it. They screwed up in the kitchen. You offer them a dessert, and here's what happened. The table with their arms crossed would be like, it's taking forever for our food. We'll take the free dessert, right? I mean, you watched it. Established a new foundation, and then it turned into something where they would leave in a positive fashion. There was a second level. Second level was usually when there was a hair in somebody's food or when there was uh, a kitchen mess up that would happen or a, a, a bad interaction with the server or, or something. And here's what would happen. At that point, the manager would say, let me handle this. The manager would walk to the table and the manager would say, listen, we know you've had a terrible experience today. We would like to cover your meal and uh, we're very grateful. We hope that we get to see you again one day. Typically, that would work and everything would move forward. But every now and again, I worked there for four and a half years. About once a year, something truly, truly awful would happen. Truly awful. There was one time I was working a Sunday, and I believe it was Mother's Day. There was some holiday. There was also a birthday with the family that we were serving. And the Lord had told me not to work on Sundays, but I did it anyway. And uh, I'm telling you, anytime, any of you who waited tables, keeping the Sabbath, I mean, I'm telling you, all you have to do is wait on church people a few times, and you remember why that rule needs to be kept. And so um, I remember I'm waiting on the table. It's a big table. I've got a trainee with me that day. And the trainee is walking to the table but did not know how to hold the tray as steady as a, a veteran server would have. And the trainee tripped and the drawn butter with the lobster flips off and there's a man in a suit. They've just come from church and the drawn butter spills all over the front of his suit. He's livid. It has ruined the entire experience for this family celebrating. Plus, the kitchen had been super late on the food because it was a special day anyway. I mean, it is just absolutely destroyed. And he's sitting there and he goes, we are never coming back here ever again. None of us. And I'm sitting there and you still have to finish out the day and finish out the table. And so I'm sitting there and I just go, what do I do? I go in and talk to the manager. I had a really, really great general manager, Robert. Robert says, let me go have a talk with him. Robert goes and sits with the table and here's what he says. He said, first of all, he said, I'm sorry we ruined your day. He said, we did, we ruined your day. He said, you don't have to pay for the meal today. He said, and I wanna give you a sheet of paper. He hands him a sheet of paper and it says, his first free meal for he and his family, if they would come in as his guest, his personal guest, the next time that they're in town. They said, we're never coming back here again. He goes, if that's what you choose, I understand. But I want you to know your next meal is completely on me, whatever you guys want. And he said, please call ahead because I want to be here to walk through and make sure that you get perfect service when you come through the next time. And you saw what was just defiant hatred in the table's eyes all of a sudden melt into a moment of kindness. That's smart, isn't it, Sam? And guess what? They booked me to be their server again. And that day, you usually had three to six tables that were yours. Robert that day said, you're gonna wait on them and they will be your only table. They will be your only responsibility. I want them to know that that was not the way that we do business. Now listen to me. There's power in understanding 
a little hospitality with someone who has hurt you, not giving them the keys to your house, but an appropriate level of hospitality is good for their soul and for yours. It reestablishes a moment where you can start new and you both don't have to hate each other every time you think about each other. With Joseph, it's his life's work. I love this passage because we are ending Joseph's story in the midst of his work accomplishments, in the midst of him saving the world through his financial decisions and the way he takes care of the farmers during a time of famine, in the midst of all this good stuff he does for the world at large. What is he remembered for? What are we preaching about? Two thousand, thousands of years later, what are we talking about at this moment? The way that God restored his family, that in the midst of all the work that he has to do, doesn't that talk about what you're doing here today in D.C.? In the midst of all the world-shaking things that you have to do, God still sees the micro of your life and he desires to restore your family relationships he desires to make you whole that you might be able to marry someone and be with them in a family unit he desires to bring about peace in your heart and forgiveness even for those who have abused you or enslaved you it begs the question is it time you started a new chapter with someone is it time you started a new chapter with someone is the Holy Spirit calling out to your heart that it's time to lay a new foundation, not be weird, but lay a new foundation so that you can move forward. I want to read you this last set of verses and we'll call it a day. Verse 22, it says, So Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and he saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also, the children of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were placed on, at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but, what God, or but, but, what, but God will surely come to your aid and take you out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you remember when old man Jacob last week, we read those same verses, the same words that he shared? He's sharing the same words of his father there to his brothers. It says, and Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. He says, in the same way, Jacob said we had to bury him in Canaan. Remember, you got to bury me in Canaan the same way. You watch this, the family has become restored. The family has become whole. And it says in verse 26, so Joseph died at the age of 110 and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. The end. 38 weeks. Now listen to me. The story of Joseph is actually the story of the redemption of the house of Jacob. That God takes all these things going on in the world and he still desires for Jacob's family to be whole. In the midst of all you have going on in the world, is today the day that the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart that it's time for you to rip up those five by seven sheets of paper, for you to eat a little bit of elephant, or for you to make a list of the good things that God has called you, or the good things that God has done in the midst of the abuse and the pain that you've experienced? Is it possible that it's time to lay a new foundation 
and establish a positive interaction. I come to you today not just as your pastor. I come to you as a fellow traveler. I'm going to have to pray that God gives me the courage to rip up that piece of paper that I have held on to like a security blanket in just a few minutes. My wife's going to walk through that door with that piece of paper, and we're going to finally have to be done with it. Is there something that God is calling you to do today? I love you guys. Let's bow our heads for prayer. I <laughs> love you, Eddie. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me, we call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time, but there is something powerful about considering the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here today that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? Honestly, I've been hurt, and it's time that I get rid of it. It's time I put it away, something that I have held on to for motivation that finally just needs to be done. Because in the light of Jesus, I need to forgive as he forgave me. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would eat some elephant today. Pray that I would take some time to really process this and that I would let go, that I would put away, that I would get rid of this thing that has had power over me. If that's you, if you just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down, so many of you. I'm so sorry. I've been there. You know I've been there. I want to encourage you. I'm going to pray for you. But if that's you, pray this simple prayer. God, help me to put this away. God, help me to put this away and then give me the courage to eat this elephant. Second, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I can feel the Lord telling me that I need to put a list together of the good things that have happened for my pain. I need to put a list together of the good things that have happened for my hurt. With nobody looking around but just me, if that's you, what the enemy intended for evil, the Lord intended for good. And you'd say, Zach, give me, pray that God would give me the courage to put that list together. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. I'm going to pray for you, but if that was you, I want to encourage you, before you leave the room this morning, pray a simple prayer before Almighty God and schedule a time and place to put that list together. It may be down at the wharf. It may be on the steps of the Lincoln. It may be out on a park bench near your apartment. But you make that commitment to make that list today. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I need to restart a positive interaction with someone. It's time we laid a new foundation it's time that honestly, I, the last moment I had with that person was so terrible. It's time that I did something fresh and anew. Say, Zach, pray for me. I'm making that commitment today. I'm going to try to lay a new foundation with this person. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you. I'm going to pray for you. But your simple prayer again is to say, Lord, I commit to do this. 
I commit to find a way to start fresh and anew with this person who hurt me. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you so much for the story of Joseph. And Lord, we thank you for this amazing opportunity to get to read about the house of Jacob. Lord, I thank you that even though you cared about the nation of Egypt, even though you cared about the world at large going through the time of pandemic and famine, Lord, you still were working in the hearts of Joseph and Jacob's family. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ for those who are here today that need to work at it between these big moments that need to eat a bite of elephant. Give them the courage to start that process today. Lord, for the ones who need to make that list of the good things you've been doing in the midst of the unthinkable, I pray that they would be able to honestly pour out their souls onto that sheet of paper or onto that, that phone document that they type in. And Lord, I pray that you would use that to powerfully set them free to realize what the enemy intended for evil. You have saving power to do great things. And then God... I pray for those who are here today that need to lay a new foundation. I pray that you would give them great creativity beyond their mind's capability. I pray that you would give them incredible insight. And Lord, that we might see families start anew. That we might see friendships begin anew that seem like they were irreconcilable. We love you, Lord. Give us a mind for creativity that is both positive and appropriate as we relay these foundations. Thank you, God, for who you are. Speak in power in these final moments. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.